Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, discussing all things audiobooks with the authors that write the stories and the narrators that perform them. Brought to you by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast. Today, I am chatting with narrator Joshua McRae. Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Series podcast. Joshua, how are you? I'm doing wonderfully. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I've listened to a couple of samples. I have a few of your books on my to read, listen, technically listen list. But, you know, life happens. But you oh, know, you're there. Does. So <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been narrating and how you got started? Sure. Um, so I've been narrating since about 2015, 2016. Um, the way I got connected to it was kind of a roller coaster. Um, when I was growing up, there were really only two things I wanted to be. One was a rock star and the other was a, um, an author, a writer. And um, when I got into college, uh, my roommates at the time all worked at the theater. And they said, hey, you got a great voice. Why don't you come try out for some of the shows? And I did. And I just fell in love with the stage. So um, I, I joined a small conservati- uh, conservatory out in uh, Northern California. And it was really teeny tiny. So you ended up having to not only perform, but also work at the theater itself. So, Mm. you know, I started off in the marketing department. Then I was going to the uh, classes. Then I was building sets. Then I was going to um, going to rehearsals and then in the evenings doing shows, usually six nights a week. And um, I did that for for a good four years. I mean, I graduated at at some point, but um, I basically lived inside the theater for for forever for about four years and it just so happened that the conservatory that the teachers there were um were from act which is kind of a big conservatory in uh, in san francisco and they were really um they were really focused on an acting technique called practical aesthetics and uh which is basically you throw out all of that um um all of that acting stuff where you're trying to be the character and and inhabit its soul or whatever all that uh, method acting and it uh, practical aesthetics is really just about what is the motivation of um, the character? What do they want to do? You know, um, they walk into a room, they want everybody to applaud them or, you know, they walk into the room and they want to make somebody feel bad. Um, and I didn't kind of know it at the time, but that technique translates really, really well to um, to doing audiobooks because mm-hmm. you don't have the the time to memorize your lines and 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 create this whole backstory for a character. You really just have to kind of know what they want and what they're trying to do in any given scene, and it allows you and allows the listener to really feel it rather than having it, you know, feel the intention rather than um, having just a simple character voice. Anyway, so I get out of college. Um, I travel around Northern California trying to get gigs and uh, it got really depressing because you'd walk into a theater and, you know, it's it's your 100th audition for The Sound of Music. You look down the hallway and there are 72 guys all dressed like you, all look exactly like you. And you, there's there's was no way for me to really stand out. So um, I ended up getting married and uh, we decided instead of being bohemians that we would start a, uh, a regular family. So I went to work as a, um, a coffee shop manager because I love coffee and tea. And mm-hmm. through that, I kind of developed my project management, my teaching, my ability to perform uh, for, you know, kind of customers as they walk in because retail and, and theater are very similar in, in aspect sometimes. Um and so I was there for about 15 years and I was still continually playing music because you can, you know, music's one of those uh, arts and crafts that you can still do while, you know, having a full time job. Yeah. And in about 2013, um, I was releasing my second album, my second little indie album, and uh, my back was just killing me because I'd been on my feet for so long and twisting and turning. And um, so it became kind of untenable to work at retail. And I thought, well, you know what, let's give it a try. Let's just go for it and see how we can see if we can um, see if I can make some headway as a, as a musician. And then... Um, so as I was working as a musician, you know, playing gigs and doing wineries and trying to sell albums one by one, um, I was trying to promote myself by uh, writing a blog. So I would do I would do this blog and and um, all the social media stuff while I was uh, performing, and um, it turned out that the blog became more popular than my uh, my stage show. So uh, my wife turned to me and she says, "Why don't you write a book?" 
And I said, oh, that's, that, that'd be kind of a cool idea. So I sat down and I wrote a book and I rewrote it and I rewrote it and I rewrote it. And uh, eventually I was able to hook up with a little indie publisher. And, um, and you know how kind of when you're writing and the process between you know getting accepted and all the editing that has to happen between that and publishing takes a really long time. And um, so while I'm kind of sitting there going, you know, just working on the editing of this book, I thought, you know, what would be cool is if I could do my own audiobook, because um, I've got the equipment, I've got all the stage training. Um, what I don't have is is experience doing audiobooks. So of course, I found ACX and and started doing um, little uh, little books here and there, just to kind of develop my skill in front of a microphone. So when I finally got to my own book, I would be experienced at it. I wouldn't sound like an amateur in the studio, and. Um, uh, so I just kind of got little jobs here and there. And then eventually we got to about four weeks before um, we went to print and the publisher collapsed. They went completely out of business. And so I had this moment where, OK, I'm working in audio and I'm really loving the studio. And it's it's using all my acting techniques. It's using all my recording techniques. So do I want to spend some time trying to get this book and other books published? Or do I want to kind of pursue uh, the, my time in the studio? And that's how I ended up a narrator. Wow. Talk about a journey. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of different things that you kind of went to, to land here. And but still, everything that you did was so interconnected that it totally works as an audiobook, you know, narrator from the performing to the marketing and the social media stuff that you have to do too. all mm -hmm. that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean everybody comes comes at it from a from a different perspective, and sometimes it's like oh, I was in voiceover, and then I decided to try audiobooks and fell in love with it, or you know I was a I was a proofer, and I did, uh, found I could I could also be in front of the mic, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, everybody's journey is always fascinating because it never feels like they graduated high school and when they were asked the question of what do you want to be when you grow up was never mm -hmm. narrator <laughs> right? <laughs> because a lot of us didn't know that that was available as a, as a career. Oh, um, absolutely. And so I always, I always have that feeling that if I could go and, and meet my, my former young self and tell him that, that what I do for a living, he'd be like, Oh, that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. I think also too, if I had heard something like that, I'd be like, wait, you could do that and make a living. Mm -hmm. That is cool. <laughs> because again, it was always the traditional, you know, jobs, teacher, doctor, lawyer, psychologist. And I'm like, mm, peopling. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great journey. You real quick mentioned that you love coffee and tea. Mm -hmm. um, how much of a aficionado are you with coffee? Like, are you a perfectionist? Do you have like multiple machines? Do you grind your own beans? Really important question here. <laughs> um, yes. So so I was a professional coffee and tea expert for a really, really long time. Um, so I, I taught coffee and tea classes and took trips to Costa Rica, that kind of thing. Um, so in my professional life, yes, I'm very, very meticulous about how I brew a pot of coffee. You know, uh, it's got to be uh, freshly roasted. It's got to be freshly ground. And you've got to um, you got to brew it and uh, as as soon as it's ground so that you get all of the the flavors and the and the uh, the oils and the, and the acidity through that uh, a really really fresh cup of coffee um at home however um uh, probably er in the early 10 you know in the early aughts uh when my son was born uh we discovered that we can't freshly grind coffee because it will wake up the entire house so uh no at at home i i have i still have fresh coffee but um i don't i do not spend a lot of time in in preparation okay i know a lot of us are coffeeaholics and we also like do the cold coffees and a lot of how we can work but also we knowing that sometimes it affects your voice if you add cream to it mm -hmm. and all this other stuff so it's always Again, plus my husband is a huge coffee person. I mean, he mm. grinds his own beans, French press, all the different machines. Oh, yeah. yeah. So when I find another person that's a you know loves a coffee, I'm always like kind of curious to see how they go about it. <laughs> yeah. No, I take out my fresh uh, my French press usually on Sunday mornings when I know I've got a long crossword puzzle and and no responsibilities. It's just it, it. There's a there's a feeling of decadence that you get from really really brewing a delicious cup of coffee. 
yes, that moment when it's just hitting the the, the cup and you smell it for the first time, you're like, mm, I'm yeah. starting to wake up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so in the time that you've been narrating, and how has your process changed from the you know the first um, book that you were cast in to now? Hmm. Um. I I would think that. As as from the first book, um, it's really developing different craft pieces for me. Um, the first, the first real big thing of crafting was was getting the right mic for my voice, because um, I was used to rock and roll mics, not so much um, voice mics. So um, really, really developing my my skill with my um, uh, my DAW, um, developing the the kind of mics that I like to use based on how the the book books are. Um, the next thing I developed was like my breathing technique to make sure that my delivery was natural so that, you know, I don't attenuate breaths and I certainly don't cut them out, but I do try to minimize them in my performance. Um, and then it was just developing a, um, a grab bag of different voices that I can use very, very easily. So I have a, I have a list of characters that I can pull from so that I'm not having to constantly reinvent each new character as I'm uh, working on a new book. Um, and um, mostly I'm just, I'm much quicker now. Um, and the, the, the best thing I ever did was, was find myself a proofer. Um, and I mean, just that was that was that was probably the biggest uh, two big game changers. One is getting a professional coach and two is getting a proofer because somebody who knows your voice and, you know, can with, you know, without without being mean about it, sends you a, a laundry list of, of uh, punches that you need to affix. Um, so, yeah, my proofer, um, who actually is uh, is also my publisher for my second book. Um, she's just she's amazing. And I couldn't do this without her. Yeah. So from the proofer perspective, it's um, at the end, once you're already done with narrating the book, she'll listen to it and give you all any pickups and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. That you may have already missed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we work concurrently. So what I do is at the end of my day, I'll, I send her the, um, I, I take the tracks through uh, um, uh, a generic mastering process and I send it to her and she get, comes back usually later on that afternoon with um, with all the fixes. So yeah. Oh. Um, so usually by the time I am finishing recording a book, I only have like one one or two day, you know, one or two hours worth of pickups before the book is done. Nice. See, that's different. I haven't heard someone do it that way. So that's mm. interesting. Yeah. Usually sometimes we'll do it at the end. And so the proofer will get the whole book and they listen and then, you know, you go back or they'll mm -hmm. do like a, I've seen it where it's maybe a halfway through the book, depending on the quick turnaround time. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to be doing it, you know, per session of sorts. Right. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, she's got a limit. Um, so I, she doesn't want to do less than less than an hour per day. So, um, you know, so if I'm struggling with something or I don't have quite enough time to to, to track at least an hour, then we, we skip over to the next day. Um, but what I really love about working that technique is, you know, when you're working with big publishers, all they do is they send you the uh, I mean, they send you the, the fix it list um, and um, the audio you know of the mistake and so you have to kind of um re-record yourself and try to get it you know get it to sound almost identical as the recording that they send you which is fine but i i find that it if i can go in and do the punch myself and i can i can uh, attenuate it it flows a little bit better so i don't hear quite as many pickups in my work that i uh, proof first than I do in the the work that gets proofed by you know um, a publisher. Mm -hmm. it, that whole thing of matching the voice and the tone once you've already recorded is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm hoping that it's a little easier for you guys because of the equipment that you guys are using and the DAW and and the and the mic and stuff like that. But as a podcaster, that's always my biggest like ah fuck, I got to record, <laughs> you know, an intro or something. And I'm like, all right, how was I sitting? Where was the mic? I still don't sound the same. Damn it. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, yeah. I actually, when, whenever I'm recording, I have to make sure, because I use several different mics depending upon the, the, the book itself. So I have to record exactly where the mic was at exactly what angle and exactly all the, all, all the little technical bits. So I can look at my page and go, okay, this is how I recorded that one. Um, 
and but yeah, it's it it can be tough. But from from a musical perspective, because I used to do you know I'd do a guitar solo and I'd have to kind of match that that feeling that flavor, and that's really difficult. Um, so doing it with your voice, it's it's actually not too bad because you can. Um, I can hear myself talking before I do the punch. So I listen to it and I can really, really match that, uh, that energy. Okay. That's good. The, um, this, you mentioning having the different mics. Now I know that there is the differences when it comes down to where the mic is, if it's in the, like, as far as where it's recording, if it's in the front, if it's the whole thing, but you were also mentioning how specific for your voice per the book, how, mm -hmm. what are this, what are those subtle changes in these mics that you're using that it's or enhancing your voice or your tones. Right. It, it's um, so I use three different mics. I use a um, um, one that's got kind of a smaller diaphragm. So it's it it has it has a very warm, close feeling to it. Um, I use a, a large diaphragm mic, which is what I'm using now. Um, and what that allows me to do is it allows the sweet spot to be much bigger so I can I can move around a little bit more um, mm. it's it, it's not quite as as warm or intimate but um, I can move my hands and I can move my face and it does allow for much easier uh, punches in later on and then when I'm doing a real nested performance you know something where I'm sitting really really still like um, um, what would be a good example? Uh, like, like if you're doing a um, an, an e-learning thing where you you want it to be very succinct, um, I'll use a shotgun mic because um, that'll allow me to really, really focus on um, on the text and on my breathing and on my voice rather than trying to do the characters in front of a camera. Kind of, does that kind of mm. make sense? No, totally. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I had heard that before when it comes down to when you first like maybe first get started, you have this kind of mic from a cost perspective and then upgrade. And obviously the better the mic, the better the sound quality. Just never really thought about the differences in, in tones, except for one of uh, a narrator that I talked to a couple of years ago mentioned that they got a new and they sounded a little like how do he can you something a little bit like smoother a little sexier mm -hmm. i'm going oh here i was thinking it was just your talent but it's your mic got it okay i love that <laughs> it was messing with him i love doing that uh, sure <laughs> absolutely if you can't yeah. mess with us well you know why why do this gig um, well you just relationships <laughs> are built you realize that i'm the, the the friend that can make anything into a sexual innuendo and also i'm sarcastic so yeah once you know sure. that things are good. <laughs> Very cool. Um, yeah, and, and and it's really not so much the expensive mics that that I like. I just like the ones that that I try them out and I go, ooh, there's there's something. There's a just a small little uh, equalization or frequency that that is picking up on my voice. Like, you know, I've got a shotgun mic which was maybe two hundred, three hundred dollars, but when I compare it with the the two thousand dollar shotgun mic, I hear no difference. And so, like, you know, uh, like everybody loves uh, the 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 Neumann mics, and I absolutely hate them because they they're so sensitive that they it sounds like they're they're recording next to my tongue. So all I can hear is my mouth noise when um, when I record on them. So, um, so yeah, I mean, sometimes those really expensive mics, um, you got to really know what you're doing, and I th they're really designed for um, for big sound studios, you know, million dollars where there's there's a helicopter could go over and, and you wouldn't hear a damn thing. Um, in our home studios, we want something that's a little less sensitive because, um, you know, it'll, it won't pick up the air conditioner from, you know, two, two streets down. Mm -hmm. no, that's true. I know that some, a lot of people, when they're starting, um, they're looking at the mics and things like that. And, and you don't need to have a huge expensive one, but you also don't want to buy off one of, you know, off a sheen for nine bucks either. Right. So <laughs> it's important it's a, it's a tool it's it's also a business expense for those that may not have realized that so yeah, yeah you're good <laughs> yeah my, my my advice is always go um uh, i believe uh, george the tech has a great website that uh, has a list of beginner mics to try out and so always just go there and, and see if there's a certain equipment that you could buy at a relatively low price and pretty much once you find your mics you know you're set yeah, and finding your groove as far as the, how it picks up your voice because that's mm -hmm. the other thing too you were saying. So interesting. That was fun. I'm a learner. <laughs> I'm know, a I'm geeky sorry. learner. I'm a, I'm a bit of a studio rat. So yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, it's it's my goal 
to have someone teach me the whole thing with the dolls and stuff and get it not that it for me to do any narration but just to have more of a professional setup when it comes to the podcast versus my plug and play which works fine for now so mm-hmm. i'm happy with it but it's it's a goal of mine to have one of those things and figure up more of that techie stuff just because i like tech <laughs> sure yeah it'll happen one day <laughs> We'll do some fun stuff with that. And they're like, oh, look at me now. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, do you have any rituals or any sort of exercise before your vocals that you do prior to coming into the studio to start recording? Um, the one thing I do very, very specifically is I work on my core muscles. So mm-hmm. um, I, I learned this in the theater after I had finished a dance class and um, had to perform that night. And when I got on stage, um, we were doing, I was doing Jesus Christ Superstar. And when I got on stage, I couldn't believe how controlled my voice was. And I realized it was all the sit-ups that we were doing um, at the, the dance class before the, uh, before the show. And so that's my, that's my only one thing that I really make sure that I do before uh, I go into the studio is, is a good session of sit-ups. And, you know, you wouldn't notice it because I'm also a beer aficionado. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, sit-ups really, really, uh, really activate those core muscles and allow you to use them um, instead of just your, your diaphragm for, um, for uh, vocal production and um, yeah I can I can I can hear it in my voice if I uh, if I get lazy and I don't do my uh, my normal physical warm-up yeah I'm also sure it's also helpful for your back to consider you're sitting for a long period of time not moving yeah yeah (laughs) yeah because like you what you wake up I mean you get out of the booth and you're going creak 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 and you go oh yeah it's my hip and my back yay (laughs) yeah I've also got one of those um those standing desks so I can I can change between standing and and sitting in the in the studio which is oh man that's so nice yeah that I can imagine is one of those where I've seen some of the booths where it's just sitting or just standing and considering that you guys do your sessions in buckets of hours but sometimes it could be you know not just one or two I'm talking about four or five Oh yeah, and yeah, it's one of those when you're going leg cramp, mm-hmm. <laughs> or just sitting in that one position. Yeah, you were mentioning you have a a bag of characters that you use when it comes down to narrations, but how do you select those characters as far as the voice tones for the you know the characters in the book that you're narrating as far as you know the accents are mm-hmm. given, but there's still these tones and these cadences that you have to provide for the performance. How do you go about that? Um, well, I, I cheat. Um, when, when I read a book, I, I cast it like I was casting a movie. So I visually have, um, you know, an actor and kind of their, their tone and their cadence in my head as I'm, as I'm recording, um, not to do an impression of that particular actor, just to kind of, um, borrow some of the vibe and the cadence of how they speak. And, um, so over the years I've developed which actors I can, I can sit for which, um, you know, for which dialect, for which accent, for which kind of, um, uh, attitude or, um, or cadence, um, all of that stuff. And I can pull them very, very, qu- I can pull them out very, very quickly. So I don't need to keep a, um, a laundry, uh, you know, a huge file of all the different voices. Um, I just have to kind of imagine that particular actor as they as they would be performing a certain amount of dialogue. And I would never tell anybody who I, who I actually cast. Mm-hmm. So you'll never really know. Um, but that also kind of creates a shorthand with some of my authors who, cast certain uh, actors in the role as they are writing it so if they tell me that information then i can borrow that as well true yeah i mean the conversations that are have been coming up more and more lately has been how it's really really helpful for the authors to provide the narrators with a list of characters as far as their tones or cadences as -hmm. well as even that as far as casting like he sounds like matthew mcconaughey on this vote you know in this film (laughs) all right all right all right (laughs) yeah (laughs) yep or that interview that tom you know uh, tom cruise did stuff like that so the more that you guys have um it seems that you guys have been, you know, from the conversations I've been having, it's just a lot better for you guys to kind of get into that headspace of these characters in front of the mic. Yeah, the most of what, what I tell, I actually did a uh, lecture on this in, in Savannah two weeks ago um, for a bunch of authors and um, how they would prep their, um, how prepping their manuscripts for uh, audiobooks. And one of the things that I always tell them is 
try to put together, if you have certain ideas about what a character sounds like, um, you know, if their voice is high or low, if they have a, you know, a Georgian dialect versus a, a Texas dialect, um, make sure that they give that to me before I begin my pre-production. Same thing with like word pronouncements on fantasy and sci-fi. Because um, what happens is, is if I don't have that information, I have to scour the book for, oh yeah, he was from, he was from Boston, you know. Um, I might have accidentally already created a character in my head that, you know, or a sound of that character. And if I find out that they're from, you know, Louisiana, then suddenly um, I the character that I've created for that particular character is wrong. So I have to kind of switch voices in the middle of, of, of reading a book. And when you do that, because um, you'll end up with because I pick my characters kind of based on how they're going to fit together in, in a scene. So I don't want two, two characters that are relatively similar to, to clash. So I'll make sure that those characters are, you know, if they're, if there's a big, um, uh, dinner scene, or one of my authors loves to do these spa scenes where all of the characters are, you know, 20 yes. characters, um, are all talking at, at the spa and, yep. and goofing off. So you get all this dialogue stuff. So I, I really purposely try to put the characters' voices and, and tones in different spaces so that even if they might sound similar, you definitely get a feel that they're different. But if that changes halfway through a book, because I find out somebody's got the Long Island accent um, or dialect, um, that, it, that'll kind of mess me up as I'm, uh, it'll mess up the whole construction of how I've put the characters together. Um, same thing happens when uh, I don't get a pronunciation list before I start pre-production and um, I'll hear, I'll, I'll read a word in one way and, you know, maybe I'll get the pronunciation afterwards as another way, but that my original impression of that word kind of sticks. So I end up having to go back and, and punch in a lot um, because I had already thought of this particular word in this way and um, it is actually a different way. So I always, yeah, I always tell the, my authors um, to uh, prepare a, a, a cast list um, with, with dialect work. I don't need background information, just where their voice sits and a list of pronunciations, like whether it's, uh, you know, pecan pie or pecan pie. <laughs> yep. A Kissimmee or Kissimmee. Um, <laughs> yep. And also depending if, if it's a local or, uh, you know, someone that's local to the area versus someone that moved there, you know, and still does not know that it's Kissimmee, for an example. Right. Because the listeners will get you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're 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 brutal because they, you know, that's they love this we stuff. And we <laughs> we better respect that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's like Louisville, Kentucky, um, they literally they know it's that it's pronounced like seven different ways and there's mm -hmm. actually a postcard that they have it spelled phonetically and always i'm like y'all are fuckers <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it's very helpful i'm glad that you're having those conversations with your uh, clients and the authors as well as when you go to these events and you're sharing the info the information and, and helping others create and get to that point where they're able to do their books and audio mm -hmm. because it's so much more helpful a lot of authors have also said if i only have known that at the beginning my first audiobook that i produced would have been so much better right i, I know so <laughs> many authors that uh, you know they, they they've got the budget and the time but they had a bad experience with that first that first audiobook and it wasn't because the the narrator was bad it's just that they didn't understand how it was um, how, what the process was like. So, um, yeah, anytime I usually, I'm not going to, uh, obviously I'm not doing it at the Allure conference, but anytime I do it at the, um, um, at the uh, Literary Love in Savannah, I always, uh, Stella gives me a full day to, to teach classes on how, uh, what the process is of, uh, putting together an audiobook, and they find it invaluable because mm -hmm. they, they don't walk into it blind. Yeah, no, I mean, everything from just prepping a, uh, the book to script to when you're writing the book. And knowing that it wants to get an audio, a lot of those tags, she said, he said, you mm -hmm. know, can can go away. And mm -hmm. they might write now, a lot of the authors that have done a lot of audio are now writing with the cadence of as if it's going to be automatically a book, an audio book. Right. And they, even the, how they go about differentiating the characters is significantly better versus the, and Armando said, and Victoria, <laughs> you know, so it's stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. You mentioned accents uh, and dialects and things like that. The listeners are suckers for accents, whether it's a it's a good old cowboy 
or mm-hmm. a you know Highlander, um, and you know British fill in, fill in, and we'll, we'll we love it. Um, uh-huh. What is your favorite accent to perform? Um, I actually, if I'm going to give a really, really good nested performance, I really like, you know, country and Southern dialect, American country and Southern dialects, um, because you just kind of, there's a, there's a smoothness and a, uh, an ease to performing in, in those, to performing those. I do like for character work doing English accents, but I can only really do a nested performance in, in, um, in, uh, RP. Uh, which is uh, for your listeners received pronunciation, what they would speak in the in the BBC. I find other dialects can be challenging, not necessarily because I can't wrap my brain around them, but because the author might have written a character to be Scottish, but doesn't know how to write the Scottish cadence. So you know they're 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 writing it in American and want me to translate that into like ah. a, a Scottish dialect, and that's what, what when you hear. When you hear somebody who you know is really good at, at dialect work, who's a really good actor, but they seem to kind of flub, flub a, a certain a certain dialect or a certain certain accent, and you're going, "Huh, that sounded way too Americanized." And it was because it was written American, you know, it was written in American style. How they would use that language, where the cutoffs were, you can't directly take, you know, American written dialogue and put it into into Irish. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, my favorite is is just sitting down and. Hanging out with the boys and drinking a beer, you know, just kind of that. I love sitting in that in that um, in that dial in those dialects because it's um, it's just easy. Yeah, it, it's you know again particulars whether it's a Texan Southern accent versus a Georgia versus oh, yeah. a Savannah. Savannah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, We're pan and pan sound the same. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but also the the Scottish where the you know I do not know what you're talking about and those little things that can be done in the mm-hmm. the homework of the author is also important. But right. also enough from from a performance perspective, just certain light accents are always key too. Because mm-hmm. as much as I love my Scottish, I know that if I were to be speaking to someone, I probably would have to really be focused on them when they get going because mm-hmm. they speak fast. And yeah. uh, and it's a thick yeah. accent, so yeah, you don't want a real Scottish person doing an audiobook. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> that is just a joke. Yeah, uh, what I what I tr- try to tend to do is is get away with as little accent or dialect as I possibly can. So just just a lilt on the edges, so that my my nested performance, my you know my natural performance, doesn't get bogged down with trying to wrap your you know, tongue around certain words so that the audience gets the point, but they, you know, you don't really flub it up and take them out of the moment when your your Scottish gets too, you know, Austin Powersy. Yeah. Or the Irish with the lucky charms and the Pepper mm-hmm. Pew French. Yeah, lucky charms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All fun and for games and end up at a beer party, but not in my audiobooks. Thank you. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and it, you got to remember, too, it's like the, the audiobooks are, are kind of a stage. So the audience is there with you. You know, I mean, they're they're there for it. They're they're suspending their disbelief as it is. And so you can get away with a lot. But going over the top, going way too over the top and taking them out of the moment is not good. So, yeah, really hitting dialects very, very softly and as little as you can get away with. Yeah. And you uh, narrate under, rather, you narrate in different genres from romance and the multiple subgenres underneath it, sci-fi or, you know, Mm -hmm. contemporary and all that stuff. But we always have a favorite. What is your favorite to narrate? My favorite to narrate is romance. There's something about going into the studio, or there's something about going into the studio and knowing that you're going to be performing characters who are here to have a good time. Knowing that the ending is going to be happy. Um, knowing that um, the audience is really kind of just digging what you're doing. Um, there's no audience like romance fans, right? And I, what I love about it is like. You've got the, the the tropes that exist, and it really allows the author to um, explore different avenues of 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 plot and character and ideas. So they can really sensationalize all the things that make books really fun and interesting because we all know what the plot is. You know, uh, 
person A is going to find person B, there's going to be uh, some problems, and eventually they're going to come together. So you, you're already accepting the whole concept of what's going on, so you can really explore all those fun little details, um, you know, shifters and angels and demons and, you know, what have you. So um, I like going into the studio, being able to explore stuff rather than kind of being bogged down with maybe a plot that is, is, is too complicated. I mean, I love my complicated books, but um, but yeah, romance or romance. When I when I um, charge out for jobs, I usually try to find um, uh, romance authors that I like to work with. Plus, um, romance authors have a tendency to do long series, and if I can connect with a uh, with a with a series, that means I I have to do less marketing. <laughs> yeah, those we do love our series, um, yeah. and, and it's interesting too because in some of these series. It, it, especially when it comes down to urban fantasy and romance and um, even in Shifter and Paranormal, the series, they'll either each book is a different couple or they'll do a couple of books with the, uh, with the couple having an over arch, a larger arch in their story, still mm-hmm. getting a happy ending in the first book, but then they come back. I mean, an example is like the Charlie Davison series by Dorinda Jones, where she's a PI, but also um you know the green weeper so mm-hmm. um <laughs> so there's all these different adventures and it's fascinating how you guys when you do these series how you can consistently keep one character in that tone and then the other ones coming up in, mm-hmm. in different you know chaoses but also the the authors are also starting that if they're different couples in each book they may start hiring out different narrators mm-hmm. and those are always interesting too yeah it's um it's it, it's it's different per per book and series. You know what I tell my authors is always have a stable of of narrators. You know, uh, always have different voices that you can you can and different narrators that you trust. Because you know w- one of my th- biggest things is when I, when I'm teaching authors how to look for narrators, the number one thing is integrity and relationship. Because you're handing a piece of art to another artist to interpret and um, if you guys are not on the same page or um, you don't kind of trust or feel confident in in somebody mm-hmm. um, then the the process isn't isn't fun and if the process isn't fun why do it but to kind of go back yeah I worked a lot of um, a lot of uh, kind of shifter uh, romance series books where they were like it was like rock it was a rock band you know so you know book one is the lead singer book two is the is the guitarist uh, book three is the bass player that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and what I do for that because um, I do it explicitly because I don't want to I don't want to minimize the other characters in the book when they're playing side characters but I also want to make sure that I can do a first person very nested natural performance when I get to their book. So what I do is I kind of split their voices into three, which is their their natural voice, their augmented voice, and their caricatured voice. So if they're kind of a comic side, you know, comic relief side character in book one, you know, I might make them the caricature voice. Uh, but when I get down to... Um, down to their book, I might just make it an augmented voice, or I might even try to push them down as natural as I possibly can. So if you listen to them back and forth, they're not going to sound exactly the same. But if you li- if you follow the whole strip, the whole string of uh, of the series, um, you're going to know who that character is. Does that mm-hmm. kind of make sense? No, totally. Yeah, and that's one of the things that listeners love when there's a consistency in the narrators and keeping them across the board, but also. It can get a little difficult when the author loves to do those dinner scenes, and in your case, apparently spa scenes, yeah. uh, <laughs> where they're all there hanging out and they're all talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I joke often that um, uh, Stella writes certain scenes just to see if I can pull it off in audio. Okay, here's the secret. I think they all do at some point <laughs> or another, especially when they've built that relationship with the narrators. Right. It's one of those, I'm like, let's see if I'm going to hold your beer or not. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then just continue to climb and add that extra accent, figure out there's a different, you know, different people in there that, you know, you haven't spoken to in a while character wise. Yeah. They do mm-hmm. that on purpose. But it's okay. Yeah. We love totally. them. 
yeah, it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's that's one of the reasons why I keep the shorthand of of casting. You know, like I work as a casting director in that in that sense, so I I can I can go to them really really easily. If, you know, if I've forgotten who they were, I don't need to go through um, you know mountains and mountains of, yes. of different audio sections. I just go, oh, that's that's that person. That's right. That's you know, that's who that guy is. Yeah, no, it was funny. I was actually talking with um, with this. Uh, group of writers and they, they had been writing a series on uh, the seven deadly sins so each each book was a was a character that you know, was a demon that embodied each uh, particular sin and they we had a really really big debate of whether or not it would make sense to do a different voice you know a different narrator um, for each of the seven books or to hand it to one narrator to make it more cohesive and they kind of came down to well it's going to be much easier to stick with the one narrator that you you like and also because the audience falls you know, in in romance it's the it's the one genre where um the 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 narrator is part of the ecosystem you know people listen to it because they love that particular narrator and um so to change mid-series or to change you know from one to one then they're going to kind of pick their favorites so they might enjoy this one because they fell in love with uh you know this guy but they might hate that one because they just didn't like the voice that came out that is true yeah it's definitely part where listeners will you know, discover a new narrator, and then like, well, what else have you done? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and there they go into you know down the rabbit hole of that one narrator, and yeah. and then the question becomes, so who are you casting next? And <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, I think some authors have started to kind of realize that as well, and have and have learned that announcing in advance that is going to be multiple different narrators per you know per book depending on mm-hmm. especially something like that and then also getting some you know fan favorites some up and coming and mixing it in there can also work but you know hey when there's a narrator that has the range that can do all seven deadly sins i'm all mm-hmm. for that as right. long as they have the range because otherwise i will be that reviewer <laughs> <laughs> you know love mm-hmm. ya but i couldn't really tell Right. You know, at that spa scene. No, I'm just kidding. Um. Right. No, it, it happens. I mean, I had a, um, I had one scene uh, a couple of years ago. It was the end of a, it was the end of a four book cycle, and um, it was a, a throne scene where they're introducing um, this entire universe of fairies and demons and and uh, warlocks and all this kind of stuff. And nice. there were sixty separate um, speaking voices. You know, all back to back to back, you know, introducing this guy and introducing that guy. And each one gave a little speech. And that got that got a little crazy. I, don't, I think I had to um, I had to really uh, cheat my way through that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's a tool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's only but it can only go so far. You can't use a sledgehammer for, <laughs> you know, for, for something that's not, you know use meant to do that so right you know i mean our voices there's a reason why our voice our voices are like our fingerprints you know you're going to sound like you um and when i'm when i'm teaching this to authors i'm I'm always like so listen to miss piggy and then go listen to yoda and think about those two voices and realize how close they actually are because they're both voiced by frank oz Hmm. huh yeah, no. And if I just ruined the Muppet Show for you, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's true. It's finding those, you know, the the cadence or the how right. something is pronounced or where that register is. Some mm-hmm. listeners can pick that up real quick and have a really great ears. Others, mm-hmm. they're devouring so many books and because they're just loving the story and the performance that it just completely goes by them. Um, right. until something else happens and they're like oh oh it usually happens sometimes when you guys have pseudonyms and mm-hmm. you know they're like we want more and i'm like we need to respect the narrators and why they want pseudonyms doesn't matter <laughs> so yeah i get it but look they have a backlist keep going that way <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah the romance community is fantastic and and when they love they support everybody but you're right as far as having the authors it's important to kind of find those narrators that you can build a relationship with that are easy to work with that can stick to a schedule because you're a part of that ecosystem which also means you're part of the marketing campaign mm-hmm. um and we're focused on hopefully audible and any other anybody else that distributes the audiobooks to also not fuck that up right. <laughs> so it's important and just as much as listeners 
will pick up a brand new to them author they will also not pick up a book because a narrator is right. you know, reading that book so it's important so sometimes it's not yeah i i have i have a few anti fans in my repertoire mm. that means you made it you're good <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I figure if I'm making everybody happy, that I'm I'm just not I'm not pushing my skills hard enough. Yeah. But yeah. I had a um uh, I had an author who just absolutely adored my work, and um and hired me to do I think it was like the eleventh or twelfth of a of a series that had already been done by another narrator, and mm. there was there was a few that loved that original narrator, hated me, and still like to make me know it. <laughs> well, see, in that case, it wasn't about your performance. It was right. more along the lines that you were, it, you just happened to have the luck of the draw of being the right. replacement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's you know, different than I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it does, it does get personal because, you know, you fall in yeah. love with these stories, you fall in love with these voices. And then, you know, suddenly there's this, this new guy who's, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a, I have a high voice. I'm a high tenor. So I don't get those deep dulcet tones very easily. Um, so, um, I, I think that helps me in the romance section because it mean, also means I don't have to reach really high for female voices. But, um, you know, I mean, if you're used to, you know, that, that really, really deep, solid, gravelly voice, that's not me. And so if you're expecting that from this particular author, um, I could come as quite a shock. Yeah. <laughs> but also very refreshing because I'm going, listen, guys, not everybody's a billionaire and a <laughs> businessman and, you know, is going to be an enemies to lover story and sounds like that. Right. Because uh, that for sure did not happen at my internship. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the other. And a lot of them, and a lot of them in our life will get into the book stuff for uh, escapism. But at mm -hmm. the same time, you have to have a little bit of reality mixed in there to make it believable in order for that to this, you know, this beliefs thing. So I, I like my variety in the tones and the voices of the narrators, both male and female. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always have to be that deep growly thing because it's right. not necessary. There's other ways to get us going in the hoo hoo, you know, situations um, that doesn't require that. Right. So, yeah. Um, so now that we've discussed the, that you love romance and because of the differences in the genres and you get to play everything from the billionaire to the shifter to the shifter that happens to also be a billionaire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the scenes are, you know, you were talking about the plots and we all know that we're going to get a happy ending that there's a, you know, they meet or they're, you know, they've been friends for a while, however that works out. But there's different scenes within a book. Um, whether it's the first time they meet or the first time that they kiss, um, you know, the fights, the bantering, stuff like that, the, the sexy times. What's mm -hmm. your favorite to perform? Oh, um, goodness. Yeah, I like to perform. Uh, this is the wrong word. I mean, this is the right word for it, but it's it's going to sound like the wrong word. I like to perform the, cl uh, the climax of the story when you don't know what's going to happen and then suddenly everything kind of uh, falls into place. So I, I, I like that energy that happens around what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next, and then boom, there it is. As far as like uh, the sex scenes, I find, because um, I approach them like... Um, like their poetry. So I really try to chew the language a lot. So I find that um, I can go, I can, uh, I slow down just a little bit and um, I go through a sex scene um, as, as smooth as I possibly can. And I find that I can usually go through, maybe do a, a single take of, of five, maybe six minutes. Um, whereas I'm, I normally average around, you know, 45 to, to, to two minutes in a, in a, when I'm cutting and punching and rolling. So um, I, I like doing those scenes because I just get, you know, I get into them and I get out of them and I realize I've just recorded, t you know, uh, 15 minutes worth of stuff and it didn't feel like it. Are you now at a point in your career with doing so much romance that nothing shocks you when it comes down to those scenes because they um, are creative yeah they're creative <laughs> um no I, I i would say that my only uh, my only caveat to um to some of the, the the sex stuff is um you can tell when it's been written by somebody who's um relatively not experienced in what they're writing about so you know a leg might be over here once, you know, at the beginning of the scene, and, and then it's weirdly over in the other spot in in uh, at the end of the, the paragraph. So you really there, there's a there's a dance to it. Um, so so the only thing that shocks me is 
um, when there's a co- continuity error in what's happening in the in the scene itself. But no, as far as as far as um, the the connection between one and and or several bodies, um, there's there's nothing I've ever read that that went, that made me blush. Okay, yeah, that's always a question and uh, an interesting concept of, wow, that one went for a loop, literally. Mm-hmm and stuff like that so it's always interesting when they get to those scenes and you're kind of wondering okay how they're going to go about it but you're right there's been times where i'm going damn that's very flexible and bendy of her and i'm going (laughs) ah no (laughs) unless there's you know they work for the circus and are you know some form of uh you know god the word excuse me the the ones that do all those contortions yes thank you um and i'm going yeah but wow no (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah, my mine is like when when it's it's an author who's probably, maybe not quite as experienced, and you just kind of want to send them an email going that part doesn't do that. <laughs> but also too, when it comes down to certain um, kinks, that's mm-hmm. my biggest um, you know pet peeve of mine is you don't need to be living the lifestyle, but please do some research right. because getting um, whipped with a nine you know nine tail cat uh, whip which are not huge or anything like that, but in a specific areas is not advised because right. that's where the kidney is, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are things that just a little bit of research goes a long way. And so those are my biggest, my, my thing is when it comes down to that is those lack of resource as far as, you know, kinks, because people sometimes, again, with romance, there's such a voracious readers and there is no such thing as a taboo subject within romance um, that people sometimes use those books as instruction manuals. And right. so <laughs> it's important to stay yeah. safe, folks. <laughs> yeah, the, the safety is, is is the number one requirement of, of, of the books that I, I, I do read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's it's uh, it's always fun when they're trying to figure out something new but i'm like yep nope um, mm-hmm. your editor missed that extra hand huh yeah <laughs> it happens it's okay so you've had this huge long journey as far as you know different careers and and you know from musician to now narrator and stuff like that and you're working and you're teaching and stuff like that so and you know family life so when you're not working what do you do for fun Oh, uh, well, I kind of mentioned it before, but um, I, I'm a home brewer, so I brew beer at home. Yeah, um, we just kind of started out with a, you know, a, a a jug and some yeast and some sugar. And now we're actually at the point where we're kind of um, enjoying entering our beers in, in competitions. I have a buddy who brews with me. Um, so I do do that on my weekends when I'm unwinding. Um, I also love fantasy football and... Uh, which is only half the year, but that's okay. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not much of a traveler, so I don't like going places. But um, I do like hitting the beach uh, as often as I can. Yeah. Well, you're traveling in September for yeah. the Allure events. Is um, this going to be um, your first um, signing where you're part of it, or have you been to other events where you've been part of like a signing as a narrator? Yeah, I've been to um, de- been to several different conferences, and the one I, I normally do is is the um, the literary love in Savannah with um, uh, with uh, Stella who who runs it, and she's also one of my uh, my authors, and she pretty much lets me do what I want, so I can I'm part of the signings and I'm part of you know the the presentation stuff, and um, yeah, so that's 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 a really fun con. Um, conference for me but um no it'll be my first time at allure but but not my first conference okay this is definitely a new one in the sense that it's specifically focused on audiobooks and so mm-hmm. you guys are not the added bonus attraction come stare at mm-hmm. me you know kind of a thing which i kind of which is great that other events are starting to realize that there is an audience for narrators and right. the audiobooks in general um but this is specifically marketing to that you know niche of mm-hmm. audiobook lovers and so you'll be there um is this your first time going to chicago or you've been there it, before it will be my first time in chicago yeah nice good you have to make sure you go to the bean <laughs> <laughs> the first time i someone told me that i'm going why would i want to go to the bean <laughs> and yeah oh that's do... that big silver statue the yes one done See? by amish kapoor yeah <laughs> yeah amazing of the reflections on it but there's so many things to do 
um at this event itself but also the city is gorgeous i've been i've been fortunate to be able to also for a book convention many years ago uh went there and did a bunch of sightseeing um but allure is going to be fun and i'm kind of looking forward to meeting all of you guys mm-hmm. and getting to see the listeners and the readers as well and kind of the reactions to you guys is going to be priceless yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was, I was. I'm actually really excited too because there's, there's a couple authors there that I've worked with that I've never actually met in person. So, um, so I actually get to get to meet the uh, the person behind the email. Right. I think that that's one of the things that most of the narratives are looking forward to, aside from connecting with the listeners, but it's meeting those authors that they've worked with. Because like, oh my god, you're real. Right. <laughs> And I'm sure the authors are the same way with you guys. I know I've spoken mm-hmm. to a few and they're like, I'm actually nervous about meeting them. And I'm like, why? Because they read what I wrote. <laughs> I'm like, right. oh, you're fine. <laughs> That'll be fun. Bit. Yeah, it'll be fun. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you there as well. Um, cool, me which too. Is, which is why I love having these conversations before going into an event, because now I feel like I, you know, we know each other and you're going to be like, Hey, what you thinking? You know, and stuff like that. Um, But the other thing, weird guy staring at me from across the bar. Yeah. (laughs) Do I know you? Wait, talk. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) I recognize your voice. Yeah. Read this paragraph. (laughs) Right. Oh my goodness. I wonder if anybody's going to pop up with that one. Oh, (laughs) That'd be fun. Guys, if listeners have fun with it. Um, <laughs> I can be in a neighbor. Sorry. Anyways, <laughs> the other thing I love doing um, with these chats is of us, uh, you know, which is part of getting to know you guys better is playing that two truths and a lie game where mm-hmm. you're going to tell me three things about you and we have to figure out which one's a lie. So if you're ready. Okay. Um, so I, I, I made elaborate stories for these. So if, they're, if they go too long, <laughs> let me know. Um, so the first one is in the early 2000s. Um, I was uh, having a song produced by a Grammy award-winning producer who wanted to change the title of my, oh, who wanted to have my song translated. The song was originally titled um, As the Sidewalk Hits the Rain, but when they handed it to the translator, the translator didn't know how to translate my poetry, so he just made up his own. And he, um, he wrote a song called Te Lluvia de Tu Amor, which, um, as um, maybe some of your Spanish listeners will mm-hmm. know, translates to the shower of your love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the song one. Um, then I've got a 30 Rock story. Um, I was, uh, I once upon a time, I got lost in at 30 Rockefeller Center with the lead guitar player for The Roots. And we had to join a Saturday Night Live um, tour group in order to find our way back to the lobby. <laughs> And uh, the third one is back in 2018, I was working on a congressional campaign and we had to um, break into a building to steal Internet so that we could um, so that we could work all of our computers the day before the election. Jesus. Okay, so we've got the song one. We've got Mm -hmm. the 30 Rock and the, the, the congressional crimes. Oh, my goodness. And also, you added a bunch of different little nuances, Mr. In the early 2000s. <laughs> Which is oh, where... Was that my radio voice? I'm sorry. Sometimes it just, <laughs> it just slips when I'm looking at my microphone. No, that was me being... Fucker. Yeah, you guys were getting way too good with this stuff. I mean, those little details is what you know, messes up uh, the potential of the lie. Really? Oh my goodness. Okay. Hmm. Was the song the lie? Nope. Oh, wow. That oh. actually happened. Translations, translations. Por mm-hmm. favor. Jesus. Um, hmm. The internet was the lie then. The internet was the lie. We, okay. Um, well, I did. We did have to climb a roof to connect two buildings with <laughs> um, with uh, DSL cable. So I had to had to jump on top of a roof, but we didn't actually break in, and it wasn't illegal. Okay. See <laughs> those little details. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the yeah, the having to join a a, a tour group to get out. Been there, mm-hmm. done that. So <laughs> it was way more plausible. <laughs> 
Yeah, that no, that was a fun one. Um, my my wife went uh, was good college uh, high school friends with uh, Captain Kirk, um, who's the lead guitar player for the Roots for uh, Jimmy Fallon's uh, Tonight Show band. So he he met up with us and uh, and uh, gave us a tour. But because he doesn't give tours, we got lost. Yeah, and uh, we had to we had to jump in a Saturday Night Live uh, touring group to find our way to help us get our way back. Because mm-hmm. those are those studios are you know tricky in the background mm-hmm. you know we only see that one you know set but mm-hmm. there's a bunch of different tv shows and, and and you know other things that are being filmed there and so how they mm-hmm. get connected and stuff is, is daunting yeah um, and what, what happens with that particular building is there's two sets of elevators one on each side and in the center of the building are are the offices where you know guests and and tours are not allowed to go so if you're trying to get to one um, trying to get to one studio from the other side, you actually have to go all the way down to like the fourth floor, cross over the entire building, and then go up the uh, go mm. up to where you wanted to be. Oh, crappy pro! <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's funny until you're the one that has to go in the freaking mill. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there was a convention in New Orleans, and the, one of the uh, elevators had to do stuff like that, and we're going. This is not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well, that was fun though. You got some good stories there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, saw one though with translations. It's why it's important to make yeah. sure that it's a proper translation versus someone that goes, "I know Spanish." <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean it was it was a it was a native Spanish speaker. He just didn't know um, how to. Um, I think the, the the determination was my lyrics were just a little bit too um, too esoteric for mm-hmm. uh, what they wanted to produce and what they wanted to market. So uh, rather than trying to do a direct translation of what I was saying, he just went, no, I'm going to rewrite the, the lyrics in Spanish so that it fits well with the, with the melody. And uh, I actually, oh, I wonder if I could even have a copy of the Spanish version <laughs> of it anywhere. I'm sure I do. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll upload it for you. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that um, when even the books, when they're, you know, fans will be like, oh, I speak German, I can translate it. But there's certain phrases in different languages mm-hmm. and in Spanish in particular, it's, you know, even the, the sentence structure changes the tone. Mm-hmm. And those are things important. That's where you kind of have to make sure that yeah. you have proper yeah. translations and open lines of communication between the originator and the translator. Mm-hmm. And, think, you know, idioms are so important in, yes. in books. So. You know, there's you, you, you can't take a, an American idiom and, and change it into Spanish and have that. That makes sense. So, no. yeah, I just thought it was funny that the, the title that they came up with was The Shower of Your Love. <laughs> kind of sappy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some things just don't translate literally. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, some of our creative curse words in a in, a, you know, Spanish, I'm sure you've seen them in memes on um online where it's like you know um me cago en diez, i shit on 10 and mm-hmm. there's all these little things too that you know from a again like you were saying a mean perspective it makes sense to us because we're speaking the language but when we're translating we're going ah uh, yeah no i don't even know how we say that <laughs> it's fun times yep <laughs> totally fun things about being bilingual you think and write and read and all this different stuff and you're going oh. why <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine it. I mean, just the thoughts in my head in English are enough to drive me crazy. That's true. Yeah. Nothing like having a conversation in complete English and then having that one word bust out in Spanish and you cannot remember how to say it in English. Right. Yeah. Those are not fun. And also vice versa. But that was fun. Thank you for sharing all that. No, absolutely. Yeah. So before we go, can you tell us what you're currently working on and what's coming up next for you? Okay, so um, I just released a new book by S.A. Price called uh, "Need You Around." It is the fourth of a um, of a uh, supernatural romance. Um, I just finished um, a book called "Porcelain" by um, uh, Miranda Dodge. She's actually going to be at at Allure, Um, and it's her debut. Um, novel. Um, I just finished the eighth book in a um, sci- uh, fantasy series by uh, an Australian author, um, 
and I'm currently working on a book of wine recommendations called Drinking and Knowing Things. And it's kind of a, a punk rock. <laughs> a, yeah, it's kind of a punk rock version of, of, a, of a wine recommendation book. So he, he really rails against uh, common misconceptions about wine and, and the, you know, the, the frou-frou-ness of, of wine experts. So it's, uh, it's, it's probably one of the funnest books I've done in quite some time. And um, yeah, I'm right in the studio. I uh, just did an hour this morning. Wow, that uh, that line of wine and knowing things kind of reminds me of the Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, because I drink totally and I know things. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was that was his intent: drinking yep. and knowing nope. things. <laughs> that book sounds like fun. I want to pick it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's really cool. It's all first person, and the guy's kind of he's really um, you know foul mouthed and and um, and you know just fun obnoxious, um, and the, the you know it's it's like I'm so grateful for um, having taken Sean Pratt's class on uh, nonfiction because there's so much um, French and Italian and German and cadence changes and rhythm changes and voice changes that are all encased in it. So if I hadn't like gone and gotten myself a coach a while back, um, I'd have been lost. So my advice to all those narrators, if you're thinking about getting a coach, go do it. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a topic of conversation of the late due to some <clears throat> clock app that um, decided to do some stuff regarding narration. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that we, I know I've always, in the years I've done this, I said, I go, there's a, obviously a, a gifted talent that you may have been born with. Mm-hmm. And also those that have done theater and things like that. <laughs> but all there's a there's a there's something different about audiobooks. So if you can get a coach, do it. You know, right. there's a bunch of different coaches out there for a variety of, of different skill sets, and they're all fantastic. And so it's important to get that. So yeah, no, yeah. Sean's one that's highly sought after, knows a lot of things. Yeah, he was. I wonder if he drinks too. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, he's a, he's a big beer and um, he's a Boilermaker fan. So if the next time you're at a conference and you see him, order him a Boilermaker. Got it. I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've spoken to him online and stuff like that. So it's on my list of hopefully you know meeting up with him whether he's at a conference or doing some classes because mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, for taking the time to hang out with me today. It's been so much fun. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. And I look forward to meeting you in September officially. Absolutely. In real life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the one standing in front of the bean with a cup of coffee. Got it. Yes. I'm like, oh, dude, over here. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I'll probably be the girl with the blue hair, but between now and then I might do something different. All so right. keep it, you know, keep it fresh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And everyone, thank you for listening. I'm going to be including all of his information, including social media links. You can follow him on over at the post at Viviana Enchanters of Books. And until next time, happy listening. Thank you to all of our audiobook loving podcast Patreon. Special thanks to Nixley Zenner, Carol Liebner, Brittany Robinette Leiter, Michelle Bastard, Brandy Schmidt, April Branson. The Audiobook Loving Podcast has special Patreon access levels. Join today to receive benefits including early access to episodes, shoutouts, special exclusive content, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobookloving. We thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, hosted by Viviana Enchantress of Books. For links and more information discussed in today's episode, previous podcasts, or the Audiobook Lovin' series, please visit our website, vivianaenchantressofbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next time, happy listening.